When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So my wife Janet and I just celebrated our 24th anniversary and I wanted to give her the perfect gift. And I'm looking and I'm looking and then I found it. It was right there. I discovered paintyourlife.com. See, this is great because we have a son in college and we're kind of moving around and it's tough to get everybody together. But I found a way to do it safely. And when I heard about that at paintyourlife.com, I thought, man, that is an amazing idea. But it's got to cost a fortune, right? That's got to be so expensive. Wrong. These paintings are truly affordable, and the quality is absolutely amazing. Get a professional, hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. It's such an original, unbelievable idea. At PaintYourLife.com, there is no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited-time offer, you get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off. And free shipping. Best offer ever. To get it, text the word Rome to 64000. That's 64000. Text Rome to 64000. Paint Your Life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Terms apply. Available at paintyourlife.com slash terms. Again, text Rome to 64000. He had the camera and he was following me and he was like, slow down. You're supposed to savor the moment. I said, you better keep up because you don't know what I have gone through. Mm. You know, this was that I, I, I fought for my life and here I am. I just won a gold medal for myself and my country. There is no better feeling in the world. Hey, what's cracking? Welcome to episode 182 of the Jim Rome Podcast. Thank you for finding me once again for the original side hustle. Always great to be with you, and this week is no different. The Tokyo Olympic Games do get underway, and to get into the spirit of the games, I am pumped to have a chat with an Olympic legend, Gail Devers. Not only is she a five-time Olympian, she is a three-time gold medalist and a member of the U.S. Track and Field Hall of Fame. So let us not waste any time and get right to the good stuff. Episode 182 with Gail Devers is coming at you right now. With the Olympic Games set to get underway in Tokyo, what better time to run down an American track and field legend, a three-time gold medalist, and a member of the Hall of Fame, Gail Devers. Gail, it is so great to have you on the Jim Rome Podcast. How are you today, Gail? I'm doing great. I'm great. How about you? How are you? I'm super. I am super, and I'm really glad to have the opportunity to speak with you. So if you would, why don't you take me way back? You grew up in America's finest city, San Diego. (laughs) When did you first start running track, and whose idea was it? Um, I did not start running track until I was 15, my sophomore year in high school, and that's because my brother was bigger than me, beat me up, and made me do it. (laughs) (laughs) Funny. Isn't that amazing? So imagine... Imagine that, especially in this era of specialization. How, how would you explain you starting as late as you did and you making up the kind of time that you did and excelling the way you did that late? 
you know, I always tell people it's never too late. You know, it's, it's just a matter of what you do once you get started. And, um, you know, I, I think it was a blessing because I wasn't burnt out by the time I got to where it counts. And um, I just, I took it day by day. I tried to learn something. You know, I started and I had no clue what I was going to do. I started as a distance runner. I started cross country and then I started running the 800. And each year somebody would say, once I got to the 100, I'm like, oh, cool. I'm going to stay right here. That really is amazing. I love that point you made, too, about by starting a little bit later, you did not burn out. Now, as I mentioned, you were a three-time Olympic gold medalist. You were a five-time Olympian. You made your first Olympic team in 1988. You were living your dream. Everything was going to plan, but then something was off. Something was wrong. In fact, something was terribly wrong. What happened? Um, like you said, I my career was just taking off back in 1988. I had set an American record in the hurdles of 12.61 in May. I barely made the Olympic team in the statisticians after I broke the American record said, Oh, wow. If you know, she'll just run as well as she just did. She'll probably be a medalist. And, um, I barely made the team. I got to Seoul, Korea. And that's when I say the bottom fell out. It took two and a half years. I was on a quest to find answers where, you know, from, from leaving Seoul, I ran slower than I'd ever run. There's a problem. You know, I have sticky notes and I set goals for myself and I believe that those goals are realistic and, you know, that I can accomplish those. And so to come back and go to the doctors and the doctors are telling me that eh, maybe, you know, maybe you peak too many times, like, nope, can't be it, you know. And so, but after two and a half years of hearing the same thing, that it's nothing wrong with you, it's you, maybe it's in your head. And then people that I thought knew me would see me and I had lost so much weight. I mean, I, I had, I struggled with debilitating symptoms that whole two and a half years where extreme weight loss at my worst, I was, and I don't know exactly what I was because I stopped getting on the scale. But the last time I got on the scale, I was 79 pounds and my running weight is 120. So there's a problem. Um, hair loss. I was never completely bald, but I was bald in spots. I was constantly tired. I, you know, had fatigue, but yet I also had insomnia, so I couldn't sleep. And then I had all these eye symptoms. And, I mean, it just, you know, as, as an athlete and as an Olympian where you depend on your body and your body's letting you down, it was very disheartening to hear from people who, in that profession, who told me there was nothing wrong or people who knew me and asked, are you on drugs? Are you anorexic? What's going on? Why do your eyes look like they're, they're bulging out? You know, I actually covered my mirrors and I stopped looking at myself because I couldn't stand the skeletal person that was looking back at me. And, you know, from hearing from the doctors that there, there's nothing wrong, then I'm like, if this is what my life is, I don't want to look at her anymore. That's, that's not me. I don't remember looking like that a couple months ago or now a couple years ago. And it, it got to a very dark spot where I just had to just say that, you know what? I might be making this up, but I can't make up the way I look. I did not look like this. And I have to be an advocate for my own. I was running and fighting for my life. I just wanted to catch up to the old Gail Devers. And this was two and a half years. I wrote it down on my sticky note. I got to catch. Lord, just let me, uh, allow me to catch up to Gail. And when I finally, you know, three years now, it took for me to finally get the diagnosis that I have something called Graves disease, which I didn't know what that was, didn't know what that was, what I would have to encounter, but at least I was under a doctor's care. At least I wasn't crazy and I could get my life back on track. So I thought, and then, you know, even, even now, 30 years later, 
I was still having symptoms that, you know, like bulging eyes, pain, redness. And I just assumed that, hey, I'm back. I'm running. This has to be a part of my grave disease. And I just recently found out that I have something called thyroid eye disease, which is separate, but it's related. 50% of people who have Graves' disease may develop this separate condition called thyroid eye disease, and you have to be treated by a specialist like an a oculoplastic surgeon or a neuro-ophthalmologist, which I am under a care of now, but it was the worst thing that I've gone through, you know, and, and still having to fight my way back, and I'm still fighting. Now I'm fighting to just, you know, make sure that other people don't have to go through this. The unknown came in 2020, and that changed the workplace forever. So while some of us are getting back to the office, some of us find ourselves in a new normal at home. The future of work has changed. So has the future of seating. X-Chair is at the forefront of home and office seating during this transition. And now... X-Chair's newest innovation, L-Max Temperature Regulation, will take your seating comfort to a whole new level. Patent-pending L-Max allows you to experience cooling, heat, and massage in your lower back. It's absolutely incredible. X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support was already best in class. With incredible responsive low back support and now with LMAX, your comfort is guaranteed. You will not believe the difference until you feel it for yourself. Imagine regulating your body temperature and getting massage therapy while you're working. You have to check this out. Go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, rome.com. Or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR and save $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairrome.com right now. Use the code XWHEELS for free X-WHEEL blade casters. XChairRome.com. It is incredible. Gail, this this is an unfathomable story. I mean, I know this story, and I think a lot of sports fans know this story. I think not everybody listening knows this story. But just to recount this and to go back, I mean, you were an Olympian, and then all of a sudden you're in failing health, and everything is wrong. And if anybody would know their body, it would be an elite athlete like you. That three-year period that you speak of, when you've lost so much weight, and that you were covering up the, your mirrors because you didn't want to look at yourself, and you didn't want to go outside and you were down to 79 pounds how in the world what was going through your mind when medical professional after medical professional was telling you there's nothing wrong with you that's unfathomable to me you know i thought i was crazy i thought that oh my gosh okay if this is if this truly is i mean you depend on the medical profession and they're telling me that this is it and if that's truly what it is then i'm wasting my time and I'm wasting my coach's time. I actually wrote a resignation speech to Bobby, uh, Kersey, my coach, and thankfully he didn't accept it. You know, I was pulling my hamstrings out there jogging. There's a problem. Come on, there's there's something going on. I couldn't remember. He'd tell me to go set up, you know, hurdles four, five, and six or something like that, and I'd walk across the track and come back and say, what did you say? So th- there was definitely a problem that I knew of, but when – you know, other people are telling you, no, you know, it, it's like, okay, well, maybe I am. And like I said, it, it got to the point of me looking through the book, my provider book insurance, and just picking a name that sounds interesting, saying, okay, let's see if he or she knows what they're talking about. 
And so my diagnosis of getting that was a godsend. It, it really, really was. And it was a, a call for me to say, you know what? Get those sticky notes back out that you put your goals on. Brush them off. They're a little dusty after three years, but you can get your life back. Let's get going. I was going to say to you, now, how relieved were you where after three years you finally got the diagnosis? You finally got an explanation for what you were dealing with. What was it like to hear that? Oh, my goodness. I remember walking into the doctor's office, sitting on the table, and now right before, two days before that, I had gone back to UCLA for something, and the team physician who was assigned to us, I saw her giving a seminar, and she was you know, beg- begging me to wait. She wanted to catch up. And I hesitated because I'm like, oh, here we go again. Somebody's going to ask me questions I don't have answers to. I really don't want to do this, but she already saw me, so I'm stuck. And um, she comes over and hugs me, and I'm thinking we're getting ready to catch up on old times, and all of a sudden she takes out her stethoscope and she starts examining me. And I'm like, okay. First time I had ever heard, she said, you know what? I mean, she you know, moved me back and looked at me and said, I think you have a very serious problem with your thyroid. I had never heard of it. She said, I want you to have, you know, I said, well, I have a doctor's appointment on two days because this was a, thir- a Tuesday and I have an appointment on Thursday. She said, I want you to give him this paper. And, you know, if you don't get the results that you need, you get back in touch with me. So at least I was like, OK, I don't know what this is. I mean, you could have told me it was a sandwich. I have no clue. I've never heard of Graves disease, never heard of thyroid. And so. I went into the doctor, but at least I'm like, okay, you know what? I knew I wasn't crazy. And I was sitting there trying to decide, okay, am I going to let him come in and tell me, examine me and say, oh, I'm sorry, Ms. Beavers, there's nothing wrong. And then I can whip out my paper and just like, uh-huh, yes, it is. Or, or am I just going to bring it out? And I said I was going to wait. And I sat there. He walked into the, uh, to the examining room, and I couldn't wait. I just handed him my paper. And he just looked at me like I was crazy. And he said, I don't need your paper. I can tell you a walking thyroid disorder. And I just started crying. I mean, boo-hoo tears because I'm like, oh, my God, finally, you know, from the medical profession that I've been going to, somebody sees it. And it was a relief. Like I said, it was scary because I didn't know what it, I was going to have to encounter. But the worst part, I tell people, the worst part about having Graves' disease is not having it. It's the not knowing. Mm. That's what killed me for thir- three years. That's what put me in a dark spot where I felt like walls were closing in on me and there's no way out. And so once I got that diagnosis, I'm like, I can handle anything. I can, I can deal with whatever's going to come from this because somebody understands that I'm not crazy. And the thing, Gail, to me that really strikes this is a few moments ago you said it. I had to become my own advocate. I had to become my own advocate. But what kept you going during those three years when you did not have any answers and walls were closing in and you started to think that you were crazy and people who should have been on your side were not necessarily there for you? What kept you going? Um, Faith and belief that deep down inside – I'm better than this, and this is not me, and somebody's going to give me an answer. You know, I did have my close support as my family, and they didn't understand, but I always tell people, in order to reach success, if anybody were, were to be honest and look back, no one achieves success by themselves. There is a team that surrounds you and helps you out. You know, what people see on television is the glitz and glamour, you know, of an event that for me might take 10, 11, 12 seconds. They don't see the behind the scenes and all the things that, that, that work to get you in that place. And success, to me, doesn't mean that you have to own the company or make the most money or win the race. It just means you have to be the best you you can be. And I knew at that point I was not being my best. So I had to, you know, snatch the, 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 the sheets down off my mirrors, 
you know, let the blinds up and say, you know what, I'm going out there and I'm going to find somebody. I'm going to be relentless. I'm going to everybody that I can until somebody gives me an answer because this is not me. I got to catch up to Gail or else I'm not living. And for me, part of my life was track and field. That was my life. So I had to get back. I just don't want to say, okay, well, this is me and I'm going to accept this. No, I got to get back to what I do. I got to get back to what gives me purpose every morning to get up. And, and, you know, that's what I wrote on my, on my paper. That's what my goals were. That's why I signed it, because word is bond. I got to do this. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkled donut. There is a ton in the world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all these terms that your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Learn about these investment products and more at Investor.gov, your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. And the amazing thing was, it's not like you got the diagnosis and then you got your life back and you got your health back. You got all the way back. You began to compete (laughs) once again on an elite level. What do you remember then about after all of that, winning that first gold in Barcelona in 92 in the 100 meters? What do you remember about that event and that day? Oh, my gosh. I remember, well, like now you have lane draws. Back then, if if they thought you had a chance, they gave you lanes four, five, and six. So I was in lane two, and I always tell people that lets you know what they thought about me because I wasn't considered a sprinter. They thought I was a hurdler. And I always tell people, it doesn't matter what other people believe about you. It's what you believe and what you're willing to work for. So throughout this two-and-a-half, three-year process, I didn't lose sight of my, my goals. I had to brush them off. They were a little dusty. But I visualize on a daily basis or every other day seeing myself cross the finish line because that's what brought me hope and faith to say I'm going to get back. So I remember being in lane two and crossing the finish line. You know, we're in a different country. I have no clue what they're saying. I always tell people, I just listen for my name. And I remember that they went from, you know, uh, the eighth place finisher all the way up. And I can, you know, even recalling it now to you, I can hear him saying, and champion the mundo from USA, Gail Divers. And it was like, oh, my goodness. I mean, just elation, you just joy that's unbelievable joy. And I remember taking my victory lap and the NBC reporter, he had the camera and he was following me and he was like, slow down. You're supposed to savor the moment. I said, you better keep up because you don't know what I have gone through. Mm. You know, this was that I, I, I fought for my life and here I am. I just won a gold medal for myself and my country. There is no better feeling in the world. So, Gail, obviously, I mean, you sound amazing. Your energy is incredible. And I always (laughs) love talking to world-class athletes then and now. And then especially, like, once you get to this part where you are in your life and how you approach it. Like, you were talking about, I had these goals. I had this ambition. I had this way to visualize. I never lost track of my goals and things like that. I'm curious. Now now that you are the age you are, you and I are pretty close in age. I'm a little bit older than you. But do you still visualize? Do you still live a lifestyle that's commensurate with that? of being an athlete like how do you approach your lifestyle your nutrition and your athletics now I say what gets you there keeps you there and when I was an athlete I set goals for myself I continue to set goals my goal this year is to be the best me I can be and to touch somebody's life and make a difference and so in that 
you know, right before the pandemic, I was 53 at that time. I'm 54 now. Um, I was challenged to uh, see if I could, you know, they asked me if I would like to run a half marathon. I'm like, 13.1 miles? Have you lost your mind? But <laughs> once I got over the, my initial shock, I actually went out and I trained. And I was like, okay, at 53, what's a good time? They told me like 230 I was like, two hours, that's a long time to be out on the road running. Two hours and 30 minutes, as a matter of fact. But I ran it. I ran 153 and still wasn't pleased. I think I could have run better because I was waiting for this big hill. They said, don't take off too soon. And by the time I figured it out, it was the end of the race. But, um, um, you know, I, I stay active. I tell people my grandmother passed away at 98 and a half. I'm going to make it to 100. And I don't just want to be here. I want that quality of life. I want, you know to be able to say what better health is. It's about doing what you've got to do, never too late, never too early to start. I'm on a mission right now. Um, I'm, I'm excited that I was able to partner with uh, Horizon Therapeutics. You know, I, I find missions, and we align exactly because going through my Graves' disease, and I do tell people that if I had my life to live over, I would ask for it to, again. I would ask for everything I've gone through, my Graves' disease and everything, because it's taught me about me, taught me the type of person that I was, and and that no, you know, well, I'll, I'll change that. I always say uh, no is not in my vocabulary until I had kids. And it's like, no, you can't go here. No, you can't have that. <laughs> but for right. the most part, no is not in my vocabulary because I've been down and I know what it feels like when you're faced with a challenge. And I say there's two things you can do when you're faced with a challenge. You can conquer it or you can be conquered. And right now, I think that I've suffered enough for everyone in the world. My goal is to get to the finish line fast and first. And yet, in my own health, I have taken the long way around. Like, I guess, unfortunately, that I did this, this distance thing. I, I obviously am falling back on, on taking the long way around that 30 years later, I'm still complaining of something that is a part of my Graves' disease, but separate. It's related, but separate. And, and there's 50% of people. So I'm a part of that 50% that has Graves' disease and developed this other thyroid eye disease that I'm glad that my daughter now is 16 because I still have issues with the bulging eyes, the pain, the redness that people are like, oh, do you have allergies? Um, do you have pink eye? I'm like, I don't have any of that stuff. And yet, as as a public figure, I'm supposed to be camera ready, but I can't be camera ready unless I have drops in my, in my, my hand on a regular. So I need people to understand that, know the symptoms, know the signs. You may be one of the fortunate ones that you don't have grave disease, but I can guarantee you, you're going to come in contact with somebody that's complaining of these same symptoms. And if you can help save their quality of life, and if they already have grave disease, you need to tell them, Hey, pay attention to your eye health because, there's something that 50% of people may develop with Graves' disease. People, women are five to eight times more likely to develop it. They say you get it in your middle age, but that can't be the, the case because I tell people it does not discriminate. I was at the prime of my life and I developed it. Mm. And going forward, I'm still having issues 30 years. So just the key is to know and to go. I mean, there's a website I tell people it's called focus on TED.com. And if you have grave disease, you need to go in there and follow the symptoms. If you're having eye issues, you need to follow the symptoms. But what I'm doing is I keep telling people I'm going around the world and I'm, 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 I'm recruiting on my relay. So Jim, now you're on my relay team. And what we're doing on this relay team is we're passing knowledge. That's what's in this baton. 
because we want to save everybody's quality of life because everybody deserves to be able to accomplish the goals and dreams that they that they want. I know people who have thyroid eye disease. It's still your identity. They can't drive. They can't work. And I know what it feels like. I mean, everybody knows what it feels like to be have a question mark because we dealt with this pandemic for these last 18 months of not knowing if you're going to have a job, what's going to happen with my kids, what's going to happen when we get out of this, if we get out of this. Even today, we're still dealing with it. So everybody knows how it feels to be put in a box and somebody sitting on that box and they won't let you out. And the way to get out is to alleviate that with, with knowledge. With knowledge. It's such good information, Gail, and such uh, good advice. Trade pros. Whether you specialize in service or new construction, Ferguson knows firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job, which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right. With over a thousand locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and same or next day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit ferguson.com to find a counter location near you. To your point about we're still living with these questions about the pandemic, what about as the Olympic Games get underway in Tokyo and there's been a surge in positive tests? What are your thoughts? How concerned are you about the way the games might be might play out? And what are your expectations? I mean, I am concerned. I mean, I, I've been saying my prayers every day. I think the powers that be that make those decisions, you know, IOC and all of those involved, will make the right decision based off of the health. We want to make sure that people are healthy. And, you know, I can't, above anyone, I, I can't stress that enough. I believe that if the games are allowed to continue, I think it's going to be um, a great performance. We're sending a great team over there in all, um, all events and all sports. And I look, you know, in my own, um, my own sport, track and field, I've become a fan of my sport since I've retired, to, to let you know that. I made sure I watched all the Olympic trials in track and field, in Paralympics, in gymnastics, you know, and I already know the games start on the 23rd, gymnastics on the 24th, they got beach volleyball, I got it all ready, you know, so, uh, you know, they're talking about no one in the stands, and so people are like, well, is it, you know, how is that? I said, well, you know what, sometimes you have to take the fans with you in your heart, and understand, and they can make it, you know, they can make noise or whatever on the speaker system or something like that. But the irony of that is in 1992, going into Barcelona, I knew there were going to be 100,000 people in the stands, and I trained myself to tune them out mm. so that I could have tunnel vision and focus. And then if you think about it in track and field, minus maybe the 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 jumps, and in the jumps, the, a the athletes themselves are the ones that start the clap and get you going. So they're going to have to do that in their head. But in all the other events, when you get to the start line, what do they do? They were like, they make the, the, the fans quiet down. So, you know, I, I always find I'm that person. I'm going to find something positive in the neg most negative situation. I'm going to find it. And I think that because we've waited these last 18 months of not knowing where the games were supposed to go off last year. Now you had to wait another year. That was a benefit for a lot of athletes. But what the only difference, like I tell athletes that I mentor, the only difference is that you have to find a different venue. You're still doing the same thing. The exact same thing that got you there is what's going to keep you there. you got to train. Okay, so you can't go to the trap. You may do it in the park. You may do it in your garage. But you're doing the same thing. And what it is is practice is rehearsal for the main event. That's like putting deposits in the bank. 
you can't make a withdrawal if you didn't put anything in. And because you had to wait all this time, it's like taking a rubber band and pulling it back and holding it, holding it, holding it, but keep stretching it. What's going to happen when you let it go? It's going to just fire. And I think that's what these athletes are going to do because we've been holding them back for so long from accomplishing their goals and their dreams of what they want to do that when they get that green light and that gun goes off or whatever it is in whatever event they have to do, they're going to be so excited to just accomplish the things that, you know, that's like bringing out the black card and they're like, spin, 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 spin. And the world is going to benefit because it's going to put us in a place that like, wow, something great to watch. I expect uh, world records to fall in the men's and women's 400 meter hurdles. I expect world record in the, uh, men's 110 hurdles, Grant Holloway, Rye Benjamin. I expect, um, oh my gosh, uh, and, and if you're a fan or if you're not a fan, I'm going to tell you, you don't want to miss the shot put. Ryan Krauser has broken the world record, and I just know he's going to put on a show. There's some young kids that I love. That There's a 17-year-old. Um, his name is Arian Knighton. You know, he was so young that he would run, and then he just ran off the track. He forgot. you got to stop by the press and, and give an interview. I said, he'll learn. He'll learn. But I love that this, these young athletes that are out here are, are what I call beast mode. They here. And if you're an older athlete trying to do something, they're looking to retire you. So I think that's going to lend for a great competition. Absolutely. You know, from love the 1500 it. on down. <laughs> Absolutely love it. I love you breaking that down, and I love you reminding the older athletes that the younger athletes are in beast mode and they are looking to retire you. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business and be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak to a Dell Technologies advisor today. Gail, the thing is, before you go, it's unfortunate for those who are not there. Shakari Richardson was one of our best hopes since, well, you, you, and she will not be going after testing positive for marijuana. How disappointed were you for her, and what do you make of the ruling? Um, you know what? When, when I heard about it, it made me reflect back to when she did uh, – Across the finish line and she did her first interview she kind of let us in on you know that her mother had passed away so we got a, a little taste of what she had been going through and then when I heard you know days later that she had tested positive I thought back to that I, I, I love the fact that she accepted responsibility you know and she said I knew it was on the list of what I could not do but I chose that at that moment as a coping mechanism but it will never happen again and I, you know, I have kids, so I look at everything as a teaching moment. And the teaching moment that I took from that was what I teach, what I say to them every day. There are consequences for your actions. And I think if Shakari had a do-over, she would have taken a pause. What I always say is if you think about the consequences of your actions before you act, probably half the things you thought about doing, but you probably would not do. And because she said it won't happen again, you know, that speaks well for me as far as her and her character. And 30 days is not a long time. I, and she'll be back. And I, I said it before, I don't want to be in a race with her when she comes back because she's going to be fueled to do something spectacular. And I think that's what it is. I, I know a lot of people are saying, 
well, is it fair? Is it's, it's marijuana or it's just marijuana or it's this or it's that? And my perspective on that is we sign up to run track and field. You're not made to do it. And so along with that comes responsibilities that govern our sport. If we don't like the rules, we need to get on campaigns or committees to change those rules. But until those rules are changed, we have to abide by the rules regardless of the consequences at this point. And so um, I, I think that it's bringing a spotlight to something that now it's time to readdress. I think that's what happens in life. You know, something happens and people are like, hey, that's not fair. Okay, so let's change that. Let's figure out how we can change that. And I think you will see people going in and reviewing different things to see if things can be changed. So for that, it's a positive thing. And um, she's teaching a lesson to, to young people and as well as to herself. I love that she's taking time mentally for herself to get prepared. And I think what our responsibility me- needs to be as a community is to surround these athletes, not just Shakiri, but all oh, you, you hear about mental illnesses and you think about these young athletes. Like I said, I love the, the young athletes, but you also got to think about they're thrown into spar- stardom. They've got contractual issues, sponsors, they've got media, they've got photo shoots, they still have practice, they still have their family life, and they've got money. We need to make sure that we're mentoring to them so that they find the best avenues to be themselves and not, you know, go down a path that's going to, you know, take away from what they're trying to do. And I say that from experience with my grave disease, fighting for my life. I wasn't going to do anything coming back that was going to jeopardize me accomplishing my goals and dreams. And I think we need to make sure that these athletes have a place to go, someone to lean on, that successful team around them that is putting together positive because out of negative only comes negative, and we have to keep working with the positive. I appreciate those thoughts very much. Gail, one last thought, and I appreciate your time so much. What a great conversation. You know, we if we could talk for just one second, and I'm not in any way trying to be salacious, but the reality of the Olympic Village, okay, you were talking about do not, and you mentor young athletes. You could advise these athletes before they go. If we're talking about a situation where they do not want to do any anything to jeopardize their chances or, in fact, their health. I mean, we are in the midst of a pandemic, and we know kind of what happens in the village, right? So if we're trying to have athletes socially distance and the organizers are doing everything they can to keep them apart, including, like, well, crazy things like constructing cardboard beds, I mean, what do you make— of the experience, what would you tell young athletes as they go to pursue their Olympic dreams and ambitions and everybody is slammed into a very confined space? And frankly, we know what young people might do when that happens. <laughs> uh, do you, do you, you like the way I put that? Do you I, like the way I, I put that? I love the way you put that. Very, very uh, discreet. I like it. Um, you, you, you can party anytime. You can hang out. You can have fun anytime. You came there. This is your job. And, and you put your everything on the line. You're even putting your health on the line to get out there and do what you want to do. So don't take any extra chances. You know, get tunnel vision, get to yourself, a cardboard bed, whatever you got to do, and, and stay in yourself. It's not time to hang out with anybody. I don't care if you double, triple mask up, whatever you got to do, put some gloves on. If they're do this take advantage of it don't put yourself in a point in a position where you might because you know like they said everybody is not didn't have to get the the vaccination 
So thankfully, there's like 85% that did, and that's a personal decision on what you have to do for you or whatever. But make sure that you take full advantage of if I'm going there, I'm going there to compete. I'm not going to go there and put myself in a position where I have to be, you know, taken away or sitting back home for whatever the the case may be. And and we're just hoping that everybody is thinking that way, and we're just going to keep our fingers crossed (laughs) and say that hopefully that's what it is. I like it. I like it so much. Gail, it is so great to get caught up with you. I appreciate you. I appreciate your energy. I appreciate the message. That was an absolute blast, Gail. Thank you so much for doing that. No, thank thank you. And I, and I really want to say thank you for allowing me to, to come on and talk about my grave disease, my TED, and, um, because that is, that is the mission that I'm on. And I always tell people, okay, let's make up some numbers. And if there's 10 million Americans who have grave disease, that means 5 million of those have TED and they don't know it. I cannot rest until all of those people are under a doctor's care. Well, like you said, I'm now a member of that relay team. Yeah. You don't you don't want me to run anchor, but I am here to help, <laughs> and I'm a member of that relay team. Gail, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Take care. Wow. Incredible energy from Gail Devers. What a blast that was. That is some world-class energy and world-class perspective from a world-class athlete with a -a one-of-a-kind story. So my thanks to Gail. If you want more unique conversations like that one, make sure you subscribe. This way, you do not have to track down future episodes. You don't go looking for them. It will find you. It will ding your device every single week such as episode 183, which is going to land next week. Until then, let me get you your voicemails, and here they are. First new message. Hi, Jim. Bella B in Calgary. What's worse, being a part of the rat family or having a lazy eye? Because Chris Middleton, he's both. Message deleted. Next message. What's up, fans? Mag is Brady. You know, Grandpa Joe is 96 years old. And if I was 96 and lucky enough not to be lying in a coffin, I'd probably be lying in a bed too. But anyways, I hope that vegan detox diet is lowering that whisk cholesterol. See ya. Message deleted. Next message. This is Darren and Cuna. Or Johnny in Texas actually believing that he was able to satisfy my ex-wife when the 17 other guys in line in front of him couldn't get it done. Fuck you, Johnny in Texas. I'm out. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Rome, what's up? This is David from Buffalo calling in. I heard Mark from Chicago's call and asking if you watch Wimbledon. I mean, hey, Mark, what's next? You're going to ask Adam Schefter if he watched the Super Bowl? I mean, you're going to ask uh, Wojnarowski if he watched the NBA Finals? I mean, bro, that might have been the worst call in the history of the world, dude. No wonder you were part of the hack-off. You weren't even bad enough to be in a hack-off. Mark, you're the definition of a C-minus in the jungle, dude. You're the Trent Edwards of the jungle, bro. Good enough to get on the air, good enough to play in a few games, but damn sure not good enough to have a long career in the jungle. Message saved. Next message. Romy, Justin, and Melbourne. Dude, let, let's talk a little bit about these XR4TI salaries. I mean, these guys are making bank. Let's start with a big head, dude. He's made enough money to put that money that he's getting from your team into those monster bets, and he's just doubling his money. Then you got Alvi. He's able to afford like 25 kids on his salary. And let's not forget about old man Ritt guy's balling in Hawaii on his salary from the XR4TI. 
I mean, these guys got it going on, man. This might be the most prestigious job on earth. Message saved. Next message. Yes, this is Ken Milwaukee. I just want to thank you for your show on Friday when you talked about your hernia. I'm a 67-year-old man that's never had any issues with any surgeries or don't take any medications, but I developed a lower pain in my abdomen about a month ago, and I thought I could do the same thing, power through this thing, and I couldn't do it. And I, I finally heard you talk about it, and I called my doctor after the show on Friday, and they made an appointment for today and found out I, too, have a double hernia. Jungle karma, I guess. But I also told him I ain't getting nothing done until after the Bucks win the NBA championship. Go, Bucks, go. Thank you. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim. Steven Sanderfeld. It's been a while. I subscribe to San Francisco Chronicle, and first thing I see in the uh, entertainment section, it says Space Jam Reboot Falls Short of Original. And I know why. Jimmy Rome ain't in it. That's why. Bad mistake, people. Message saved. You have no more messages.